0: be speaking the next uh, few weeks we're going to go ahead and focus on the family and I think it's uh, it's very important to um, to keep speaking about the family because how many of you would be in agreement with me that the family is very important that it's in God's heart the family um, as scripture tells us is it, it is not as the world tells us not as a political viewpoint or uh, any other way as the way that scripture tells us is a reflection of god's nature of who he is and that's one of the main ways that we are witnesses to the world of whom he is so um as i was looking and praying on teaching regarding the family um i was on my way to work one day and i I got a longer drive now because i moved down to humble i was living in kingwood and i was about five minutes away from my job uh before and now i got to drive a whole long 25 minutes right (laughs) yeah for some of you that's probably uh really nice because some of you have a longer commute but you know I was spoiled for a while but on my way to work I was listening to the scriptures and I came across Colossians chapter 3 and the Lord just lightened that up for me right there to talk about this morning in regards to the family and if you would open to the third chapter of Colossians with me um, we're going to go ahead and look at a few practical things that God has for us there regarding the family. And it's interesting that we just finished last month speaking about Christ's resurrection. Um, And that's exactly where chapter three of Colossians begins. It's amazing. Um, If you go with me to verse one, Paul is talking to the Colossians, the, the Christians in this area. And he's saying, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ... Alluding to Christ's resurrection, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your mind on the things above, not on the things on earth. Now, we would ask the question, why? And verse 3 answers that question. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life... Remember, he is our life. Many times we erroneously think or say or declare that other things are our life. Whenever I see someone on Facebook saying and talking about their mother or their their son or their child and saying, he is my rock, I pray for that person. Say, they are not your rock. Christ is your rock. Christ will never fail you. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed... In other words, he comes back. How many of you agree that he is returning? Amen? Amen. Then you also will be revealed. In other words, we're going to have glorified bodies in eternity. We have a hope. You will also be revealed with him in glory. Hallelujah. God is telling us through Paul that in order to practically face or live out life. Notice that's the key word right there, practically. In order to live out life, the temporary, what doesn't last forever... We have to maintain, maintain our focus on the eternal things because we have a hope that this life is not all there is, right? Now, some of you may be saying, really, is that all it is? Especially the younger people, right? Got my friends, got my Xbox, got my sports, got my clothes, even some of us older people. We have things that we enjoy in life. It's not all suffering and pain, right? We go through difficulties, we go through circumstances, but there are things that God allows us to enjoy in this life relationships, the family of God, beautiful days like today, technology, the food that we eat. We just spoke about Sister Lorena's Mexican barbecue. But this is not all there is. And there are so many things that are important here on earth, amen? So many things. Let's list a few of them making a living. How many of you are excited to go back to work tomorrow? (laughs) Staying healthy is another important thing. Enjoying the pleasures of life. There are pleasures that God allows us to to, to enjoy. Recreation, entertainment. Keeping my house clean is important. Making sure my retirement is (laughs) well-funded. We're concerned about those things, and those are important. Dealing with my rebellious teenager dealing with my marriage and my family. All these things are important, and we are still here, and we have to go ahead and focus on them, right? So Paul is not telling us, take your mind off of all these things, forget about them, and just focus on eternity and go live like a monk in the mountains. That's not what the Lord is telling us. So how do we do that? How do we keep our focus on the eternal things, on the things above? How do we do it? If you read the previous chapter of Colossians, Paul is addressing some people's preoccupation with ascetic and ritualistic living. In other words, all these rituals that they do, that they try to force other people to also uh, uh, exercise or practice in order to reach holiness. Chapter 2, verse 23 says, these matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. What's fleshly indulgence? is the sinful nature. It's our tendency to do what does not please God. And many times we think that doing the ritualistic things without a relationship with the Savior is going to take us in that direction, right? And I don't think lately, I don't think there's anybody here that probably beats their body or uh, does any of these Uh, Things that some of these people were doing back in those days, but there are similarities, right? Things that we do thinking that we are just punching in and out and I already checked the box off for God. I've done it. I already checked it off, Lord. I'm good with you, right? Coming to church every Sunday could be one of them. It could become a ritualistic, religious, cold thing to do because it's part of the tradition in my family my parents went so I go participating in communion which is something we got to be very very careful about according to scripture amen tithing and giving you may be one of the best tithers and givers you may just be doing it ritualistically and religiously being part of a ministry in the church Let me tell you something, although these things and others are good, they do not necessarily lead us by themselves to focus on the things above as Paul is saying. What's the solution then? Because I mean, I've been doing this for years. I've come to church since I was a kid. My parents used to take me. And it's a tradition that I've I've, uh, carried out through all my life. What is the solution then? Let me tell you what the solution is. When you have a loving relationship and connection with the Lord, let me say that again. When you have a loving relationship and a connection with the Lord, that's what I always tell my children. I tell them, don't try to be good kids. Don't aim at trying to be good kids and follow all the rules. Aim at having a relationship with God. Aim at falling in love with the Lord. When you have a loving relationship and connection with the Lord, the risen Christ, then you start doing what Paul says in verse 5. Let's look at verse 5. What does verse 5 in Colossians chapter 3 tell us? It says, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body. And you specify the earthly body, right? Because the Bible is specific and, and, and emphasizes the fact that we will have a heavenly body. Amen? A transformed body. But there's some sort of issues and problems and conflicts with this earthly body, Right? It still leads us in the wrong direction a lot of times. It still has us want to do things that do not please God. And so he says, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body dead. Everybody say dead. That's why the death and the resurrection of Christ are so important because they are a foreshadow to what we're supposed to be living in our lives. Consider your earthly body dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, look at this, which amounts to idolatry. Every sin that we fall into, bottom line is idolatry. Because every time we sin, we're showing God that we're depending on something else other than him. And that's why Paul is very specific in saying it all amounts to idolatry. Why is he asking us to consider our members dead to all these things? Ladies and gentlemen, because it is through our bodies that we do life here on earth. It is through our bodies that we have a relationship with other people, that we carry out the things that we do on an everyday basis. When when I'm using my skills to make a living, God commands that I use my hands my eyes, my brain, etc., everything honestly to glorify him. How many times at work are we tempted to do things that'll get us more credit, but it doesn't really please God? How many times at our jobs are we tempted to go ahead and do things that'll get us more money, but it doesn't please God? God is asking us, To honor him with that. When I'm trying to stay healthy, and I shared last week in regards to uh, um, the fact that I started exercising in the Spanish service uh, because my son, who's 14 years old, is an awesome soccer player and he's very strong. And he took me to play with him at the Kingwood Fields here one day, and he beat me so bad. I was so exhausted. I was in pain. I was sore. And I said, no, this can't be. I said, how is this? How is it that he's doing this to me? And I started exercising. I started waking up every morning at 5.30 in the morning before I went to work. I even put a calendar in the garage, and I checked off the days, you know, 30 days, 30 days, right? Just discipline, Wanted to get healthy again. (laughs) When I'm trying to stay healthy and exercise, eating right, whatever it is, God commands that I do it without worshiping myself or becoming obsessed with it i don't know who i heard uh in a message tell the young people guys especially the young men, those muscles that you have right now enjoy them Because <laughs> in about 20 to 30 years they're not going to be there anymore <laughs> you're going to experience pains and aches and all kinds of other stuff that's coming so do not worship yourself in that direction when I enjoy the pleasures of life, God commands me to do so in a godly and healthy manner. 1 Timothy six seventeen says, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, and I love this last part, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. God is not around, walking around with a stick in his hand like the minute that you start enjoying something and having pleasure in something, That's healthy. He's going to hit you over the head and say, hey, stay focused, right? (laughs) But he wants us to know that it is all for his glory. He commands us to do so in a godly and healthy manner. Dealing with my marriage and family, when I'm dealing with my marriage and my family, when I'm working these things out, God commands me to do so in a manner that will glorify him and benefit my family. Amen? And so, with that in mind, Paul in verses 12 through 13 in that same chapter he says so as those who have been chosen by god holy raise your hand if you're holy i'm not telling you to raise your hand if you're perfect raise your hand if you're holy the minute you give your life to christ you made him the lord of your life you have been set aside for him that's what holiness is you are not like the world anymore sometimes we mess up We still are a bit hard-headed, aren't we? Or am I the only one? Sometimes we say things that we're not supposed to. Sometimes we treat somebody else the way we're not supposed to. We hurt other people. We're hurt by others. But we're walking in holiness because God has set us apart. We are walking in a transformation process where God is changing us, where God is taking us from one level to another if you allow him to do so. Because you also have to do your part. And so he says, Who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. We are not just chosen. We are not just holy. We are loved by God, intensely loved by God. We are his children. It says, put on a heart of compassion. You know what the phrase put on defines to me? Is that we have to make a decisive choice every day. It's not going to automatically happen by osmosis. We're not just going to sit with our legs crossed and our fingers put together and all of a sudden compassion and all the good things that we want are going to just ooze into us. We have to put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you. Isn't that what God reminds us of all the time? Even when Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray. Forgive us our trespasses just as you have forgiven ours. Amen? We have to learn to practice these things constantly every day, every hour, every minute, and every second. Let me repeat this again. Let me tell you this because I know I am not the only one in this boat who experiences moments where we have to practice these things? Whether it's from someone out in traffic, the person in line in the grocery store, a co worker, your own spouse, your children. We are called to learn to practice these things constantly, every day, every hour, every minute, every second. And then he wraps this up in verse 17. He says, whatever you do in word or deed, through our earthly bodies, remember, our members, whatever you do in word or deed or action, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Again, words and deeds are transmitted through our bodies. We are living out life through our earthly bodies here. And then, here here comes the crux of the teaching in regards to the family. It's amazing how he transitions from this into the family in verse 18. He sets the foundation. Let's go through these instructions for the family in light of the fact that we are risen with Christ, we have a relationship with him, and are being called to be dead to sin and alive to the fruit of the Spirit. Let me repeat that. Let's go through these instructions in verse 18 about the family, thinking about what he just said beforehand. What did he say? That we are risen with Christ, we have a relationship with him, and we are being called to be dead to sin and alive to the fruit of the Spirit. That's our foundation to be able to manage our family relationships. Do you see? So Paul is not just writing stuff because he feels things come. He's, he's, he's doing it purposefully. He knows what he's doing, guided by the Spirit of God. Verse 18, wives, be subject to your husbands as it is fitting through the Lord or in the Lord. Now, let me tell you, this is a very touchy subject in our days. Very touchy subject because things are changing. What's it, uh? Bob Dylan, who used to say, say, saying, Times are a changing. And they're not a changing for the good. (laughs) Right? And so it's a very touchy subject. But God, who is all knowing and created everything from the beginning, and has been around before any of us were there, created things in a manner that will not just glorify Him, but will benefit us and bless us he has placed everything in order he has placed order in everything and there is order in the family and wives are called to submit to the head of the household whom god not pastor herson not pastor terry not evangelist so-and-so but whom god has designated the husband to be if you want to argue about that, go to God. God has designated the husband to be the head of the household. He hasn't designated him to be a dictator. He hasn't designated him to be the el macho. Huh? Happens a lot in the Hispanic community. macho. Yo soy el macho. I'm the macho. What is this, a Mexican soap opera? No, man. <laughs> but the head of the household... And it says, as it is fitting to those who belong to the Lord. In other words, if you belong to God, just as he mentioned previously in, uh, in the verses, in verses 12 and 13, if you belong to him, you have been chosen, you are holy, you are beloved by him, you are called to walk in obedience to this. Amen? Amen. I only heard one. Thank you for the yes that I heard there somewhere. <laughs> we are called to live in obedience to this. Amen? Amen. What will happen when that occurs? when the wife is, submits to the husband in a godly manner, in a respectful manner, there's going to be order. There's going to be order. And then you will give him, your husband, you're going to give him room to exercise the responsibility he's been given by God and that he will be accountable for before him. What happens a lot of times, there's no submission And there are some husbands that fall asleep also, just like Adam did, right? Adam was there when he was talking to the serpent. He was standing right beside her. (laughs) He's like, I wonder what's for lunch today. I don't know what he was doing, right? And some husbands do that. And so there's no submission. And the husband basically abdicates his authority or or his calling. You know what abdicate means? He gives it away to someone else. Let me tell you something, husband, father, you're going to be held accountable for that by God when you stand before his throne. You're going to be held accountable. Husbands, verse 19, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Now, the majority of men are not very expressive. They don't say I love you too many times. We usually grunt, right? <clears throat> Who was that? Was that Tim Allen? You had that that show? <clears throat> we're grunters, <laughs> but we're called to be loving to our wives. But it's more than just roses and chocolates and romantic music. Although that's a big part of it, taking them out on a date because they love that stuff, right? I'm gonna tell you, I'm one of them that's sometimes guilty that I forget. You know, we get so busy with work, ministry, the children, everything that's going on, and. Sometimes my wife has to remind me, hey, when are we going out on a date? We have to do those things. But love is more than that. Love is active. You live it out. Should we have to go through 1 Corinthians 13 again? I don't think so, right? That's another whole sermon there. <laughs> we have to love our wives and we have to show it through action. Action. Sometimes, even the smallest things. How many of you make your bed for your wife in the morning? Or you just wait till she doesn't, it, right? It's the little details that we do that show love. How many of you tell her, Look, I'm going to take the kids with me out, and you can stay here and just watch a show, telenovelas, whatever you want, you know, and enjoy some just you time. And it says, Do not be embittered against them, do not be harsh them is another translation sometimes we can be very harsh we sometimes i've seen men treating their wives like they treat one of their buddies like they have the, the same expectations doesn't the word of god say that she is the the fragile vessel and it doesn't mean that she's weak because i'm going to tell you my honduran wife is not weak <laughs> it doesn't mean that they're weak it's just that you treat them as someone who's more valuable I love the, the, um, the illustration that Pastor Z gave to the youth one evening. He, he showed us his awesome, most favorite Batman, Batman plastic cup, right? And he says, I use this when I'm watching the game, when I'm playing, you know, video games, when I'm with friends, and I could throw it, and it's all over the place, and pick it up, it's a plastic cup. But then I have this beautiful, valuable crystal cup that I use for special occasions. I'm going to treat that cup a lot differently than I'm going to treat this one here this Batman plastic cup. Excellent illustration. It doesn't mean that one is weaker than the other one. It just means that there's a certain value. And we men have to learn how to treat our wives that way. Sometimes we're too harsh. We have too many expectations of them that we wouldn't even expect from some of our buddies. There's a story of a man who, um, his wife called him out of the blue. He says, honey, I crashed the car. And the husband Oh my God, what did you do? (laughs) Did did you call the police? And he started just being really harsh on her. uh, Just yelling at her over the phone. Why didn't you do this? Why weren't you responsible about this? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, Hello? Hello? The woman was dying over the phone. She was hurt. And she died on him. We have to learn how to be merciful and grateful with our wives. That's what loving our wives is. Amen? Verse 20. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Why is he calling children to be obedient to parents in all things? Because it is pleasing to God. If there is no other reason, guys, if there's something that you disagree with with your parents, because we all do, don't we? All right, those of us who remember being teenagers, how many times didn't we disagree with our parents a lot of times? Or were you all perfect? Perfect okay we always disagree there's things that we disagree but it pleases the lord when we walk in a attitude of obedience and again going back to youth that's another illustration that we had there in one of the youth services if your mom tells you that she doesn't want you to wear pink shirts and you disagree with it and you tell her well why mom because i said so well you go ahead and obey right just obey because it pleases the lord It pleases the Lord. Fathers or parents, do not exasperate your children. Now, let me tell you something. Many times we got to be careful, right? Because we get to a point where we're almost walking on shells, on eggshells with our teenagers or with our kids because we don't want to annoy them. You got to be careful with that. Because there are things that we have to continuously do with our kids that are going to annoy them. But they're the right thing to do clean your room they get annoyed they got the trash they get annoyed dress correctly they get annoyed that's not what exasperation is so keep doing that <laughs> how many of you are on the same boat with me and have teenagers at home still all right yeah team parents no i'm just kidding and so you you but but there's another level of annoyance called exasperation and there's a fine line where we have to ask God's wisdom in order not to exasperate them without losing the discipline that we have to continue to give Because there can be a point where they get so exasperated. One of the things that I was always advised, especially as a pastor, is, hey, Herson, don't make it all just church and church and church and church for your kids. Have a balanced life for them. Have fun with them. Take them out to places. Or you're going to exasperate them. Amen? We have to learn how to raise our children because there are wrong attitudes, words, actions that will irritate them to the point of frustration and discouragement. Scripture there itself says they will be discouraged if this occurs. And finally, in verse 25, Paul ends ends the chapter by saying, for he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done. And that without partiality. Let me tell you something. God, how many can say amen and say God is loving? God is merciful, amen? God is is graceful, amen? But God is also a righteous judge. And he will judge without partiality. In other words, he will not go ahead and give someone else more or less because he feels like he will give to everyone what is deserved. And we will all be held accountable, wives, husbands, parents, and children. We will all be held accountable before God's throne for how we handle all these relationships. So this should be considered a foundation for the detailed um, messages that we will receive in the next few weeks regarding the family. And remember that it is all based on our relationship and our position with Christ. And the fact that marriage and family reflect to the world who God is. This is our biggest witness, ladies and gentlemen. We can go out there and start knocking from door to door and start telling people, Jesus loves you, you need Jesus, and pass out tracts and go out to parks and preach and bring people to the church and make events and all these things. But if we are not learning to handle our families the way God tells us, it's going to throw that witness out the window. Because our family is a reflection of God's nature. Our family will show even our own children who God is. Our marriage shows our children who God is. When people see mom and dad function the way God tells us to function, they see the nature of God. They see a provider. They see a nurturer at the same time, who God is at the same time. They say, oh, that's the kind. Unconsciously and in their spirit, they will receive. That's who God is. It also reveals to the spirit world, hey, we belong to the Lord. We are his, and it tells the world we are the light of the world because we're doing the, th- the things the way God created them to be, and this is how it's supposed to work. I'm not asking, and God, I, don't, I don't think God is asking us to be the Brady Bunch, to be a perfect family or someone who never makes mistakes. Let me tell you, we we, we go through our stuff, all of us. Amen? Just because you've come to Christ and you are saved does not mean that your children behave perfectly all the time, that you and your spouse never have any any type of arguments, that sometimes there are not feelings that are not right and that you have to deal with, they're there. They're going to come. But God is telling us how to handle these things for his honor and for his glory. And that, brothers and sisters, is our calling, is to make him known to the world. Is to make him known to the world. Amen. Amen.